Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show this week. Excited, as always, to be here with you on this stormy, rainy morning here in Florida, and I know that there are some places of the world where there is snow expected, not here in Florida, although we are expecting potentially expecting hail, which is not a common occurrence. But what I love about this show is my listeners are from all over the world. And because of that, you have made my show, my heart, my passion, my joy of my life, um, my baby in his own way. One of the top, my podcast is now in the top 5% globally of all podcasts that are out there top 5%. And that is all because of you, my listeners. I love that. I love you all. And I'd love to hear from you and have you share what resonates for you for each of the episodes of the show. And thank you for giving us that incredible ranking and helping us rank my show rank throughout the world. Because my goal, my my wish for this show is that it helps you, improves your life in some way, helps you grow your business. And, and more than that, helps you spark some sort of joy, some passion in you to live the dreams that you've always had and live them to the fullest. And perhaps if one of those days you feel like you've fallen and you need a little help getting up, that when you listen to the show, listen to one of my guests, it lifts you up and you know that you are not alone and that you are always supported. And that to me is the best thing that I can ever do is let you know you're not alone and there is somebody here who just wants to lift you up. So thank you again for helping us achieve, us, me, helping me achieve top 5% globally of all U.S. podcasts and uh, not U.S., global podcasts. And today I've got another amazing guest and I met her at uh, Steve Olsher's Virtual New Media Summit where I was an icon of influence and I fell in love with her. I fell in love with her message. I fell in love with her heart and her humanity. And she is an amazing person because not only does she have a great message that we're going to be talking about, but she is an international business leader. I mean, she deals with global trade. She has worked with um, heads of state, top religious leaders, international business people, ambassadors. She's spoken at the UN, the World Trade Center, um, Congress. She's spoken at all these places and she has learned that mindfulness has a different way of being looked at, especially when you're dealing with cultures from all around the world. So please welcome Denise Thomas to the show. Denise, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm so excited to have you here. And and I know that since we last spoke, you moved which yeah. <laughs> was no small feat because you had a generational home yes. where multiple generations of your family lived and you integrated all of those different aspects into your home. And I can see from your background that you're still doing that, this whole global aspect. So that I, I'm glad that you could be here <laughs> in the midst of all of that. 
Well, I am too. It, it was a it was a challenge, but it was something that we 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 made it work. We're in, in in a different space. It's still all of us. It's four of us. It's three generations in one home, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Um, we're all quite happy, and it definitely makes the difference in the quality of life that we have because we can all be together. So that's not something that a lot of people choose, Denise. I mean, I know when my mom moved in with me and I took six years from my life and my business to just be with mom, take care of mom, people were like, why aren't you putting her in an assisted living facility? Why are you stopping? Why are you not having your own life? And I'm like, I am having my own life. Mm -hmm. And one of my life choices is that I will take care of my parents. I mean, I moved I bought a second office for my company in Florida with the plan that eventually I'd have to take care of my parents. And I took every vacation to be near them. That's not the norm in the U.S. It's not the norm in the U.S. That is correct. But it's definitely the norm with us. Um, we are an old family. And what I mean by that is that we live a very long time. I have great-grandmother that passed away at 107, uh, great-grandfather that was 109. Um, we live until our late 90s. So it's not uncommon for us to have an extended family member. Um, my mom is young. I mean, she's only 73 and she gets around perfect. There's no health issues or concerns for her whatsoever. Um, we make jokes and say she's the energizer bunny. She'll outlive all of us. I mean, she still works full time and has a very demanding job and career and always has. Um, and it just works for us. It works because I think we want it to. Um, yes, there's always weeds in the garden, but those weeds are things that you live with because you love that person and you want to be with that person. I can't imagine my life without my mom, my husband and my daughter in our home. And that's what makes home home. If we take a vacation and someone's not with us, it's kind of not as much fun. We always make sure that we take lots of pictures to share it with the, the other person that's not there for whatever reason they couldn't go. So we now have committed to say, okay, we take one, one major vacation together, all four of us, no matter what, once a year so that we have those memories. And my daughter doesn't know what it's like not to have her grandmother, you know, down the hall or downstairs where she can go and play games or talk or share, you know, it's not uncommon to hear them giggling at two o'clock in the morning because they're up talking. Um, you know, she's 13 now. So, I mean, it's not uncommon to wake up to that sound. It's that's one of the things I miss with my family, mm -hmm. my immediate family being gone is those midnight chats or the yeah. eight o'clock in the morning chats or, you know, noon, whatever it might be, where some random conversation sparks this nugget yeah. that you you never would have gotten otherwise. So no, it's gold. It's gold to hear the stories. It's gold to find out. You know, I remember one story with my husband. This was before my daughter was born. My great grandmother said, I remember the first automobile. And she said it just like that. And she leaned in and we laughed. And she said, that's what they used to call them. It wasn't a car. It was an automobile. <laughs> <laughs> and she told us this whole story about, you know, how they had to crank it. How she thought that was the craziest thing she ever saw. She goes, my horse, Bessie, moves faster than that car. 
<laughs> I said, of course, the horse's name was Betsy. And she goes, yes, all the horses were Betsy. <laughs> so, you know, you think about that and it's like, wait a minute, this was a pivotal moment that she saw this transition, you know, and she can tell us about it. Who thought? There, I mean, with the ages of your family members, the longevity, what they've seen in the course of their life is, gosh, you wish you could have recorded all of their experiences because they've seen the world turn. They've seen the world change and they've seen the world not change. Right. Yeah. The, the not change part is the part that I know I personally struggle with nowadays is how could this still be happening? How could those things still be? How could there still be poverty? How could there still be racism? How could there still be, um, you know, people who just don't seem to care and have greed right. and, and all, of, all of that stuff? You are in international business. I mean, you're dealing with cultures from all over the world. Do you see these same kinds of things that you see with when you have conversations with your, your family? I know other cultures, generational homes are the norm, sometimes not mm -hmm. for the good, right? Because right. there's some cultures, there's a subservience level to that as different family members move in. But what do you see from your perspective with that? Well, I think it's really interesting because um, globally, there's a pivot happening where people are a lot more aware of what's happening around them. I think because we have the news and they're telling the stories over and over again, you don't get away from it. So when you see suffering in one culture, you ingrain yourself to it because you see the suffering in your own culture, in your own way of life and the way things are done. I think that the pain point for people that are a little more enlightened as it relates to suffering, let's just pick that as a sub, as a subject, it, it's harder to stomach, but I think it goes back to not having the self-awareness about you and what your challenges, issues, and opportunities are, which is really what we're you know, going to talk about a little bit today is about that and what, what does it mean? How does it look? How does it look and feel to me? And when you internalize it and make it personal, then you can grapple with it a little better. And I believe your your compassion level goes up, your path compassion level for humanity goes up, and you begin to make this little bit of a pivot to see it a little differently. You know, I think that the suffering of man is really and truly, in most cases, man's inhumanity to man. And the choices that we make are not choices that are made for the good of all. They're made for the good of that moment. And some of the decisions are made, I think, in part because of selfishness, but also it's in part because we perish for a lack of knowledge. We don't know and understand always what we're doing. It, that's, an, that's an interesting point. And I think in the U.S., we see that right now just with the COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the people who say, well, you can't make me wear a mask. It's my personal freedom and, or I'm not going to get the vaccine because of conspiracy theories or whatever right. it, it may be. You know, Microsoft's going to chip me and every and the government will know everywhere I'm at. Right. And, and I have this these conversations with friends around that. We've kind of lost 
a sense of ourself in relation to the world around us. It's become self mm-hmm. in a number of arenas that we should only worry about ourselves. And then there's a whole other portion of the world that's saying self matters in relation to those around us right. um, because that helps define self. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, other than the fact that I was just loved the work you're doing and all that other stuff, is your conversations around mindfulness and mm-hmm. ways of being. So in relation to this idea of self for self or self in a bigger sense of community and self, how does how is that defined your ways of thinking? You know, I think of it from this perspective. When I talk about self-awareness, self-value, self-worth, self-love, and I call it professional emotional intelligence, I use the analogy of the oxygen mask on a plane. You put your oxygen mask on first, then you help the person next to you. The point is, then you help the person next to you. But if you don't have a sense of self, self-love, self-worth and appreciation for you and compassion for yourself, it's harder for you to extend that to others because you don't show it for you first. So understanding who you are and being OK with the good and the bad, because we all have a duality. We all have that the yin and the yang, the positive and the dark side. When you really understand those things about yourself and recognize them and are truthful with you, it's a lot easier to go forth and have compassion for others because you're now showing that grace and compassion for yourself. That whole thing about um, where it talks about love thy neighbor as thyself, you can't offer someone something that you don't have for you. That has to start first. And once that takes place, then all of the other things begin to open up. You begin to see the beauty that the world has to offer. You begin to see that... Even in someone's pain, sickness, and darkness, there's still love, compassion, and hope. There's still an opportunity for, for mercy to come in. And I think that in business, I look at it because I spend a great deal of time negotiating both sides of the house saying, this is what this means. This is what this means. This culture has these norms. This culture has this norm. And we in the United States, we kind of take for granted that everybody does things the way we do, and we don't. So when that happens, it's really a way for us to see it from a different perspective and from that perspective, what that looks like to us. But when you have that self-awareness and that emotional, professional emotional intelligence, it's a much different conversation. All right. So let's let's expand upon that, because I I feel like there are two schools of thoughts around this, right? One is a, a a view of self, a view of mindfulness, of you have to let go all ideas of self, right? That um, in order to truly be mindful, you almost get so quiet, you become a bigger part of the universe where you can feel and sense everything that's going on. Right. And in some cultures with meditation, that is the ultimate goal. Yes. The movie eat, pray, love the book, eat, pray, love. Mm -hmm. She talks about this moment of consciousness where she had expanded into this bigger thing. So she was able to see all the world in other parts 
of um, the idea of mindfulness, it's getting quiet so that you know exactly what you want to do and all the extra stuff just sloths away and you can be hyper-focused to whatever you want to do. I, think I just heard this again the other day from um, uh, a Christian. I'm I'm Christian Catholic, right? Raised uh, another Catholic friend of mine that I should never meditate. I should never do yoga. I should never do any of these things because being mindful is going to let the devil in. Mm. Can you expand upon that with this whole idea? Because you have this really cool concept that includes a bee and gardens that to mm-hmm. me takes all of those different ideas of mindfulness and makes it universal. Um, it's the analogy is bee mindfulness, which is a bumblebee benefits everyone everywhere. When Laura is her highest and best self, that means Denise can be at her highest and best self. And at this exact moment, we're both both experiencing a very similar experience on the same path where we're living our best life at this exact moment and relishing in that moment, dwelling in that moment and being mindful and purposeful for this moment will make this conversation so much greater because I'm allowing you to speak your truth and be who you are. And you're allowing me to do the same. And that's me honoring the divinity within you. And you're honoring the divinity within me. And that's when there's a connection. And that's what your audience will feel and see. Both um, minds of thought are right. There's no wrong in that answer. It's what path makes you feel closest to divine? What path makes you feel happiest? And in the analogy of a garden, the bee really is the worker. And we're all workers at some point or time. The hive is our home, our corporation, our culture. It's a part of the safe place that we go to for refuge and to create the beautiful nectar. And we do that to the service of the queen. But the queen is really the heart and soul of who we are as a people, as a company, as a person, as an individual. And that's why you're doing it. And then you go from flower to flower to flower pollinating, but you don't sit there and say, well, I'll go to this flower because it's blue or that flower because it's red or that flower because there's a beautiful hummingbird that's always there and I want to see it. You just naturally go and follow the rhythm of your life in tune, in step with a sense of ease and you're mindful about your work because you're clear on what your goals are. And for you to be able to say, this is what I want and have clarity about that, there does have to be silence. And what people seem to forget is that we have bombarded ourselves with noise, chatter from all of these directions, and we no longer feel comfortable in silence. And in silence is the gift that we give ourselves just by sitting in quietness, in stillness, in oneness connection with divine and connection with the universe. And I know those are words that some people like, some people don't, but say connected to the earth in and of itself, just that sense of peace that comes along with it. When you allow that to be, you are a far more mindful person. Your self-awareness, self-worth, self-value automatically begins to rise up within you. 
and not in a negative way. It comes very positively. Your professional emotional maturity, your emotional maturity will come up in your home and it begins to be a ripple effect. And that's when we'll start to see a lot of change in the world that we want to see, that we all want to experience. And I just use the garden as an analogy to help people better understand. And it gives you a point of reference to think, okay, in this moment, am I being a mindful bee or am I just being a bee that's buzzing around from flower to flower, just busy, or is this meaningful? So many thoughts went through my head when you said that, but the, the one that's sticking is my mom. Okay, my mom loved to garden. And she had an incredible green thumb. We mm-hmm. always joked that my thumb was black. <laughs> so it's mine. It's okay. <laughs> and, but she said, Laura, it's because you just really don't care about gardening. It's not your mm-hmm. thing, right? I love the beauty of the garden, but give me stuff that doesn't require me to remember to water it or to deadhead the flowers or, or to put fertilizer down, right? I I need a a garden that just blooms on its own. But what came up when you were talking was my mom, Mm -hmm. she would plant certain things in certain areas and then she would see that it wouldn't flourish. And then she'd go, okay, well, I need to put more fertilizer here. I need to put more, and it was basically more attention to that area, or she would actually uproot a plant and move it to a different area where it could flourish and get the attention that it needs from the sun, the bees, the flowers, or she might plant some additional things that would bring additional nourishment to it. Right. And when you were talking, that idea came to my mind because what you were saying, you know, with the bees going, it didn't just go where the hummingbird went. They they had a mission. They had a plan. And their idea is to cause things to flourish. Mm-hmm. And it's intentional. So what I'm right. hearing you say is knowing, getting quiet. And if if this is not where you were going with it, just say, nope, Laura, not it. Okay. <laughs> What I'm hearing is that mindfulness, the being mindfulness, and I love that benefits everyone everywhere, is us looking, taking a moment to be in silence, right? Understanding what we need and what we want in relation to our environment everywhere. And if need be, shifting things, letting go of things, adding things to help us flourish. And we can't get that unless we are being mindful. Yeah, with our own space, with our own identity and our own sense of self-worth, self-value. What your mother did in tending to her garden is an analogy for life. You're tending to the garden of your life. And when you're transplanting plants, or moving them around, you're doing it for a specific reason so that that flower may thrive and grow and flourish. You know, I had a friend tell me this analogy and I use it all the time. There will always be weeds in the garden and a weed we often pull up and get rid of it and throw it into the fire. But some weeds truthfully are beautiful. Some weeds actually can help your garden thrive. 
You just have to know what weed you're going to keep and what weed you're going to release. And when your mother's tending to the garden of her life and to the garden in the natural sense of her moving flowers, she's expressing love, gratitude, appreciation, the sense of peace and thanksgiving and a mindfulness about the process in what she's going through and tending to these plants. And when we put that type of energy into people and into our work, our good works, it expands humanity, it expands compassion, and it makes the world a better place. And I think that a lot of people don't know this, but excuse me, when you plant vegetables in a garden, food in general, you tend to that garden, the, the nutrients in that food ingrains to you and it'll actually begin to produce that nutrients that your body needs to help you live a healthier, happier life. So it's naturally reciprocated in nature for us to tend to the garden of our lives that there's some reciprocation back to us. And that's what I think we forget. The plants do it for us and human nature is we will do it towards one another but we first have to get this house in order, our heart self, our true self, and be truly mindful, loving beings. And that's who we are. Naturally, that's who we are. It's not a bad word to say the word love. It's not bad to say compassion. It's not bad to say that. Those are things that business has shunned. But in recent years, it's becoming more and more apparent that we have to look at the world differently and we have to behave differently if we want to succeed and if we want to continue to thrive. So, <laughs> I saw this vision as you were just talking about, it's making me think a whole different way, number one, about meditation, right? So now I'm thinking that if I meditate, if I go into silence, it's nourishing the dirt, the earth, my foundation that will then allow anything I plant, say a business idea, a friendship, a love, a something to flourish mm -hmm. because I've nurtured the foundation of me and given it um, a healthier place to build everything else from. Mm -hmm. I never thought of it that way, Denise. To yeah, me, meditation, meditation, meditation is a beautiful experience. And I tell people this all the time, is that prayer is us talking to God. We're talking. Meditation is you're zipping your pie hole up and God's talking to you. And you're giving him the opportunity to do that where you can actually hear and not be surrounded by all the chatter. And that what meditation does is it really does plant you, root you in such a way that you expand physically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, financially. You just expand in every possible way. And you're so much happier because you have that moment of time where you stop and you focus on absolutely nothing. And that's very difficult to do in the, in the mind of that chattering mind. But silence to me is focusing on love. So when I go into that space of 
meditation or the silence or into the gap or whatever you choose to call it, nirvana, I focus completely and purely on love and connecting to love. That's the experience. And then everything else fades away. Be mindfulness came to me through meditation. Share divine love came to me through meditation. I wouldn't have heard it otherwise. How do you implement that into your life when you come out of your your meditative portion? Of I have day? no I have no purpose. Okay. I just say I choose to walk a path of love and I choose to be an enlightened human being that shows compassion to all humans, to all things. That's it. It's simple. I don't have anything beyond just simply being who I am and accepting myself that day because we have good days and bad days. We're human, just like everything else. We all have off days. That's the only thing I wake up saying, I want to be the best me I can possibly be and be loving compassion and reflection of divine love and compassion to all, period. And it's literally that simple for me. I don't complicate it any further than that. Yes, I have goals. Yes, I have dreams. Yes, I have ambitions. But I know that each and every one of those things will, note what I said, will come to me in time, in season, on time, purposefully and perfectly. And that's the expectation. Nothing less, nothing more. And I walk in it with peace. That's that's just totally beautiful. I mean, the to be able to do that, to live that, to embrace that, especially when you have a job that (laughs) requires you to interact with people from globally, right? And I know you've worked with many politicians had to interact because you're dealing with global trade and things like that with people who their motives may not always be as pure. Mm -hmm. They want to get something from it themselves without thinking of a bigger picture. How do you keep your center when you're dealing with all these different cultures and personalities? I'm a relationship person. And I think one of my natural gifts is an affinity to develop a sense of trust with people fairly quickly. Um, That's something that's really important to me and it's super important within my job and my work. And I recognize that we all come to the table with our own agendas, um, spoken and unspoken. Um, And we have to maneuver through that with caution. But I also say that when I send loving compassion first and we want a positive outcome for a specific reason, when you can find that common goal that each party wants and you move on that one goal first and foremost, that makes the biggest difference. So you focus on what's working and what's right. And some projects work, some projects don't. And they fall apart for a thousand different reasons and they work for a thousand different reasons. You never know until you get in there and you do the deep dive. But if both parties have the heart and mind inclined to success for a specific goal to achieve this, then usually they can find a way to work through it. It's when the goals are so far apart and so polar opposite that it's harder to make it work. 
those take a lot longer and a little more time. But in time, even those sometimes come together. You're always navigating and negotiating around, I'm going to go back to the garden analogy, weeds in the garden. And you know that you have to live with that weed and this is a weed you're going to have to work with and you're going to have to figure it out. And when you walk into it knowing that there is opportunity for success in some way, you usually can get there in some way. It may not be ideal, but you can definitely move the needle just a little bit. It's kind of like another analogy is starfish. You know, they're all washed up on the shore. The guy picks up one and he says, he tosses it. I help that one. I help that one. Sounds crazy, but that's really how we begin to evoke the change that we want and to achieve the goal that all parties know that they need to get to. It's just one step at a time, one starfish at a time. So when you are just starting out on a path of maybe trying to integrate some of the stuff that we've just talked about, about the the be mindful, B-E-E mindfulness, what are some things you would tell my listeners in order to help them figure out how to integrate it into all that they are instead of, oh, today I can do this because I have the day off or because the kids aren't screaming all around? How do they begin to integrate it so it becomes really the core of who they are to build that that dirt, that foundation that all things can grow in and blossom. I always say start with simple things, things that make you happy. There's something that a task or something that you do that makes you just kind of feel like you're disappeared from the world. Um, Walks in nature are huge. But when you go for the walk in nature, you know, if you have your phone for safety reasons, I always say for safety reasons, keep your phone, but turn it off. Don't listen to it. Just turn it off. Only use it if you need have an emergency situation, but go for a walk and just be there. Go early in the morning before anybody else gets there. And that in and of itself, look around and observe the flowers, observe the trees. Notice how the trees smell. The, every, every place I've ever gone has a distinctive smell of its own. And it's just the combination of the vegetation, the soil is the dew, gives it a different smell. The sunlight gives it a different smell. Is it windy? The wind will change the smell, change the feeling that you have. And just sitting on a rock, as crazy as that sounds, just sit there and just look around. Close your eyes. And when you close your eyes, do things sound different? Do you hear something different? Being present in that moment, touching the bark on a tree with your eyes closed after you've had silence feels very different than if you're listening to something and had all the stimulation and you touch the same tree. That's being mindful of that moment and appreciating it and simply just getting up and saying, thank you. We don't say thank you enough because mm-hmm. when you say thank you to something, it expands and you feel so much better. So for people who are just beginning in the mindfulness, meditative, thinking of something other than all of this, a simple walk in the park, in the, in the woods, nature, and just enjoying the silence. I have thunder <laughs> going on behind me. I don't know if, if you've um, 
if you can hear any of that on this episode to whoever's listening live, I don't know if you can hear the thunder and, and the lightning <laughs> going on. Well, you can't hear lightning, but I always, I don't know why I always think you hear lightning, but it's really the thunder you hear after the lightning strike. Um, but I'm, I'm hearing the rain and you were talking about sitting on a rock and I've always loved the sound of rain and found mm -hmm. it very, very meditative. Yep. Since my ear injury that has caused the sound-induced vertigo, I don't like thunderstorms anymore because mm -hmm. when that lightning thunder crack happens, if the lightning has struck somewhere nearby, that can trigger, you know, the symptoms. Right. But one of the techniques that I was taught to help me deal with it is to ground myself mm -hmm. like that feeling when you're sitting on a rock i don't know why when i sit on a rock i start to feel very grounded very kind of i can feel the weight of the rock and the way the rock is into the ground and how rooted it feels like if you touch a tree i can almost feel the pulse of the yes. tree going mm -hmm. into the ground and feeding up to the sky I know there's a lot of my listeners that are afraid to go out right now because maybe where they're living, um, it's in a city mm -hmm. and they're can still very concerned about COVID. I mean, there's a number of cities that the COVID rates are off the charts again and they can't, you know, they're deathly afraid to go outside. So what are some things that people who can't go out into nature, which the whole be mindfulness, is there a way to bring that, the garden inside of themselves, inside of their homes, if they can't go outside? You know, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. Um, when you were talking about the thunder, I thought of something that my great-grandmother used to say to us when we were children. Um, she would say, um, she would turn off all the lights in the house, um, no matter what time it was. and doesn't matter what we were watching. If it was our cartoons on Saturday morning, she didn't care. Um, she turned everything in the house off. And if it wasn't too cold, we would go sit on a covered porch and she would say, just sit here and be quiet because it's God's time to talk to us. I don't want to hear from you. Listen. That's the in, in front of my face. <laughs> <laughs> and in that space is where I first learned mindfulness without knowing that's what it was. And she would just say, just listen. She says, if your thoughts come in, she would just say, they don't have to be there. They can go away. She didn't use like, just accept the thought, gently accept it and allow it to pass through your mind. She didn't say that. <laughs> That's what I say a lot to people. She would just say, just let it go away. Just, just don't shush it away. Cause if you shush it, it'll come back louder. Just, just let it go away and just listen to the sound focus on the sound. And she said, thunder is God's clapping his hands. He's just getting our attention. He just wants us to know that, Hey, there's something else other than you. Just listen. In my and, family, it was the angels are bowling. See, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, and I, when you were talking about lightning, doesn't make a sound. Lightning actually does make a sound. It crackles. 
And you have to be quiet and it has to be the right situation, but you can hear the crackling of the lightning crossing the sky. And then there's the thunder. So maybe so, I've always heard that and never realized that's what I heard. Cause I always thought lightning had a sound, but everybody keeps telling me, no, you're hearing the thunder. There's a crackle. <laughs> Cause you can like in a, an electrical storm, you can look up and you're looking at it. And as it shoots across the sky, it sometimes has this like a little, little crackle or sizzle sound like it's, and the, that's the electricity. And again, those are things you notice when you're quiet. So for those that don't have that opportunity, there's um, the Dalai Lama says he wakes up every morning at 3 a.m. between 3 and 3.30 a.m. And he does it naturally. And he rises and he meditates until he feels the sunrise on his face. Well, the interesting thing is with the Dalai Lama, when he was doing a lot of traveling, that could mean anywhere in the world, <clears throat> he could be sitting in silence for a few minutes, I mean, for a few hours, for one or two hours to five or six, just depends on the time of year. And it depends on where he is on the globe. And with that, I realized that in international business, how hard that is to do. I mean, because you have an alarm clock and you live by that alarm clock and you pray you don't miss a meeting because of the time zone change and you're going from one place to the next. You may be in multiple time zones in a period of a short few days. So that's really hard to do. So I recognize that. And I said, how can I do that if I can't sit in silence for five minutes? So at three o'clock, most people between three and four, we wake up on our own anyway. It's just natural. Most people rise and you wake up and you're irritated. Instead of being irritated, just sit up for a few minutes, take a few really deep breaths and just say thank you and just focus on that feeling of gratitude and love. Quiet yourself back out down, lay down and go back to sleep. And we naturally have this rhythm that that happens. And no matter what your faith is, that is high holy time. And at that moment and at that time, you're being called to do something greater. You can send love and appreciation out to all of humanity at that moment. And in that moment, more good will come to you, more feelings of peace, more feelings of joy, because you've now expanded human consciousness to a greater level of compassion. So I also teach meditation. And I always say, if you can't sit in silence for five minutes, sit in silence for two minutes. And then one day you'll realize I've been quiet and happy for over 15 and then you'll keep doing it. And then it'll be 20 minutes, then 30. And then you'll be like me and one day you'll wake up and I say, wake up, but you come back to yourself, to present, to your physical being and it's three hours has passed. Wow, you've meditated for three hours. Three hours. And you can't, I can't explain it. It's as if time stops. And it's only a moment and you're not asleep. You know, you're not asleep, but you're in what's called a gap. And that's the space between thoughts. And that's where divine dwells. That's where we become centered. 
And the more you do it, the happier your life will be and the more joyous experience you'll have because you'll be far more present. So in being, be mindfulness. You're honoring who you are in the divinity with that's within you and your connection to divine and the earth. And then you're sharing that back out because you're living your best life. And that's really what loving compassion and humanity is. I, I know for a lot of my listeners, one of the, the biggest frustrations for them, right, is they have these moments of clarity, these moments of like if they meditate or say they've gone to some event where they connected to um, their heart even bigger or their, their passion. And then they come back, say they come out of their meditation and they go back to their world. And they struggle because the world is not the meditative state. The world has its own pulse, its own pace. And they struggle to, to hold that grounding, that hold that center when they need to deal with all of their clients, their family needs, their uh, monetary needs, mm-hmm. the, the needs of what the world is saying they should be doing. What are your words of advice? How do you, I mean, we've talked a bit about this, but let's talk some more about it. Mm-hmm. How you go from that three hour pause state where you were expanded in, in who you are and filled yourself. So that is a brilliant question. And it is a question that I have struggled with myself. Um, I always call it the disappointment, the grief, the sadness, um, the frustration of knowing that you want to be on this side of the the life experience, but you're still kind of feeling stuck or uh, unmoved. And basically the best thing I can tell you from my own experience, and I'm saying this from my soul, is that the person I am today is not the person I was six months ago, a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. I've been working on being my best self for a very long time. And I'm going to say my daughter's 13. I'm going to go with about 15 years where I've really been purposeful about it. And just like anything else, it takes time for the rhythm of your life to fall into its natural rhythm. Because you think about it, we've been driving the car of our lives in fifth year and to try to slow it down and to have a different perception and different life experience is going to take time. So don't give up on the silence. Don't give up on the meditation. The one thing that I used to do when I felt what I call my lazy self is when I didn't want to get up at 5 a.m. or 4.30, depending on what I had to do, I would get up every day, but at five, five o'clock was my time. But sometimes I had to get up earlier. Sometimes I could cheat and sleep into 5.15, but five o'clock was my, my wake up time. If I couldn't get up, I always said, do I want my life like it was yesterday or do I want my life like I want it to be? And I said, I want to change my life. And I would get up. 
I would get up, I would grab a blanket, I would go sit on the freezing porch sometimes in my back of my old house in a chair, and I would just be quiet. Because I didn't want the life that I had. I didn't want the life experience. I loved my life, but I didn't always like the experience that I was having. When you talk about bringing things towards you or having the life that you want, being the type of person that you know that you can be, that takes time because you have to reprogram your brain, your body, your belief systems, how you see the world has to change. And that doesn't happen overnight. It's not like we can take a pill and be the best self. That takes time. But I wanted my life different so bad that I would get up every day even when it hurt, with Lyme disease, after a surgery, I couldn't get out of my bed. I would work my way up and sit up in my bed and I would say, I want my life to be. And I would do my breathing exercises and go into my meditative state. I did it without, some days with fail, but most days I would say I would give myself a B plus because I wasn't 100% but I'd give myself a B plus because I wanted it to be different. I wanted to live and be my greatest self. And I wanted to do that for me first and foremost, nobody else, not for my mom, not for my husband, not for my kid, not even for divine. I wanted that for me because I knew if I did that and I connected to divine, then they would benefit from it. I have a far more agreeable family. I have a far more harmonious work experience than I've ever had. I have a greater level of success in the things that I do as a result of that commitment. So I didn't want to fail me. I, that, I'm writing so much stuff down. <laughs> you didn't want to fail you. I mean, how many people ever really think about that? They're worried about failing others, failing their work, failing um, as a parent, failing as a child, failing as an employee, failing as an entrepreneur. But what if we shifted that, like you just so beautifully said, and said, started with, I don't want to fail me. Right. Wow. I have goosebumps, massive goosebumps, Denise. I didn't want to fail me and I didn't want my life to be the way that it was. I wanted a different life. I wanted to see it differently. I wanted to see it with this joyful laughter, playfulness, hope, ambition that wasn't ambition for the sake of being ambitious. It was ambitious for the sake of joy and bliss and living a life filled with wonder, magic. And I look at it now and I look back and the shift, the major shift that happened to me is the way I see it. And that's really all it is. It's my experience is how I choose to tell the story, how I choose to dissect the story. And I look at it and I'm amazed at what wonderful things are happening to me. And I, I know without a shadow of a doubt, with all certainty, it's because I kept getting up. Simple task, 
I just got up. Some days I could sit there and I would be anxiety stricken or, you know, my mind was running crazy. I couldn't concentrate on nothing. I just was just all of this hodgepodge of gray and madness going on. And I still would take a breath. And I said, if I can get just get two minutes of silence, I will accept that. And I could usually get in two minutes. And I would just sit there and say, let's just try for two minutes more. And I didn't time it. It's just a feeling, you know, and I said, okay, my time is up. I've got to get myself ready to go to work. I've got to get my kid ready. I've got to make sure my husband's up. My mom's doing what she's supposed to do. Dogs are fed. I'm running. And this may go on for weeks, months where I'm struggling. I still got up because I knew that one day, eventually, I would get up and I'd make it. It would just be perfect, serendipitous. And it did. It always happened eventually. And even right now, I consider myself in a dry period where, you know, it's not as deep or I'm not able to manage the shifting of time. I'm in a new environment. There's a lot movement, a lot of movement in my life, but I still get up. Because you don't want to fail you. I don't want to fail me. I love that. Last thought that you want to leave my listeners with. Love is the key to everything. Literally love. But you have to love you more. Love yourself and know that no one can love you like you do. And that once you plug into divine, that energetic frequency of love will expand in such a way, it really will become the umbrella for your life. And I'm using that analogy because your logo is an umbrella and I can see it, but I love that because it does. It just will carry you through everything and it'll allow you to make better choices It'll allow your life to expand in such a way that you feel as if the earth is rising up to meet your feet. You talked about sitting on the rock and feeling grounded. The most important thing we can do as human beings is feel grounded to the earth and connected to divine. It's kind of like that tree of life. The tree, uh, the roots are going down to the core of the earth. The body is us and the branches are what we're connecting to divine. But in that tree, we have life. Um, animals visit, we bear fruit, we are pruned, we grow, we experience where we lose all our leaves, we expand and maybe proportionate in our body size. All of things are happening in this ebb and flow of life, but recognizing that that ebb and flow is who we are. But if we remain rooted, grounded, and connected to divine, it'll all be okay. And, and whatever divine means to the individual. Whatever it means to you. But put love first. I love that. This has been such a great conversation, Denise. How do people get in touch with you to find out more, to talk about stuff that's going on, get some assistance? Um, right now, I'm on LinkedIn, and it's Denise Thomas. And I'm going to actually do a little post and um, plug you on that post today after this conversation. Well, thank you. And uh, this show will get posted up to podcast because right now we are live streaming with video. Um, so 
the that will that's out there as well and then it'll go up to podcast as well you i i love the work that you're doing denise and but most of all i love who you are as a human being and that is such a a beautiful thing to share with the world thank you i really enjoyed our conversation it's a pleasure to talk with you always thank you for having me and thank you for the listeners who are listening i appreciate it and I know that eventually you're going to write a book about all this stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, I am. You totally need to. This stuff is <laughs> so powerful. And, and who you are as a human being on the planet is um, something we need a lot more of. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody. I just had this amazing conversation with Denise Thomas. This idea of be mindfulness that she raises and be is benefits everyone everywhere, but using the idea of a bee in the garden, to me, that was so beautiful because I'd never thought of it before, right? The bee has a purpose. It has a function. It goes to the hive. It takes care of itself. It knows what it needs to do. It's not just flitting around doing anything everywhere. It's going where it needs to go. And so many great questions were raised by Denise that she asked herself, do I want my life to look like it looked yesterday or do I want it to be the life that I can, that I dream about? If you ask yourself that question, if you also ask yourself the question, is this the life I want my life to be? And then another beautiful one, um, you know, that she said she didn't want to fail herself so ask yourself that. Are you putting yourself first? As opposed to worrying about if I'm failing other people, think about yourself. Are you failing yourself or are you lifting yourself up? We all need to do that for each other. And the way for me that I enable myself to do that is because to me, the right questions can change your life. So what questions are you asking yourself today? Hopefully you learned a few new questions to ask. Have a great day. Reach out if you need any help. Post on this show and, and the other shows. And thank you again for making It's All About the Questions that one of the top 5% of podcasts globally. Have a great day, everyone. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.